Oh, we're back. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wandering Bear Sports Podcast, the number one sports podcast, maybe on planet Earth at this point. It's a great pleasure to be back. I hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas break and New Year's break. I certainly did. Went to Bali for three weeks, switched off completely, which was wonderful after a very, very full-on 2022. Uh, Then the last month, I've been doing a lot of coaching. So I've been obviously coaching at the Hunter Wildfires this year, uh, but still living in Sydney. So I'm all over the shop, really enjoying it, learning a lot, and um, yeah, having a great time. Can't wait for the year to kick off. It feels like it's sneaking up on us very quickly, um, but a lot of fun so far. Anyway, that's enough ranting from me. This po- this week's podcast is brought to you by Caffeine Gum Australia. So I first discovered Caffeine Gum in 2015 when I was playing for the Melbourne Rising in the NRC, might have been 2014, no it was 2015 and we'd just gone from like a 7 day turnaround to a 6 day turnaround to a 5 day turnaround, my mate Metch got injured so I had to go from loose head to tight head prop which is very very tough uh, to do and I was tired, we had like a 7.30pm kickoff on a Thursday, left Melbourne you know, 6 a.m., 7 a.m. that morning. So it was a big day. Stupid day, really. But anyway, we are getting there to warm up. I had like a ton of coffee. And then I was so tired. And the, the uh, strength and conditioning coach is walking around handing out these blue tablets. I'm like, mate, what's that? He goes, try one. Tried one. Immediately felt like a million dollars. Could run through a wall. You know, played 80 minutes that night. It's incredibly unusual for me. And I was hooked ever since. Since then, we've gone on to sell it. Uh, we just hit 500 online orders, quite a few more offline, uh, which is very, very cool and appreciated. We are now in every professional sport in Australia, which is the best. Anyway, that's enough marketing. Check us out, www.caffeingumaustralia.com. Uh, any support would be truly appreciated. Thank you. All right, this week's podcast is with a Wallaby legend, Totai Kefu. Um, so getting to do this podcast, I've gotten to meet some people that I really, really admire, uh, from Wayne Smith to Pat Lamb to Anthony Seabold to Dan McKellar to Laurie Fisher, and, and I, I've got to meet a couple of my favorite ever players. So growing up, I was either a loose head prop or a number eight, so getting the opportunity to sit down with Richard Harry was a real treat for me, because he was kind of the first guy uh, that I looked up to, and he was just a champion of a bloke, so... Spending an hour with him was awesome, and my other favorite player was Totai Kefu, the Wallaby legend, uh, who was equally as awesome, and it was a real thrill to sit down and spend an hour with him. We talked a lot of coaching and some of the unique challenges that he faces coaching Tonga. Um, he's got a really good way of going about it. He's very honest, which I really appreciated. And he was an absolute gentleman. I I learned a lot talking to him. Uh, It was a thrill to talk to someone that I admire so much. And that's it. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Mr. Todai Kefu. Okay, we're live. Kef, thanks very much for doing this, mate. One One of the funny things about doing this podcast is getting to meet people you admired when you were growing up playing footy. And yeah. um, I was lucky enough to do one with Richard Harry. I was I was a loose head prop, so that was a thrill for me. 
and I also played a little bit of number eight at school. So getting to do one with you is, is a, a thrill for the 15-year-old boy that lurks deep inside me. So, mate, th- thank you very much, firstly. Secondly, how are you? You just got back from tour. Um, how's the year been? Where are you? How's life at the moment? Yeah, no, I was just talking about um, – I was having a beer with a neighbour just the other day. He was talking about the year. It's been it's been a bit of a slow year, I think, um, just with with what everything's with everything's happened to to um, well to our, to to me and our family in the last couple of years. Being a stop start, we had some floods, I think, earlier in the year, which slowed a few things down. Um, but in terms of the Tongan stuff and and, and the rugby team. Um, it's been a quite, it's been quite a good year actually. We, we're um, we're ripping in. I, I think we look um, we look pretty good for next year at the World Cup. Um, we just come back, like you said, we just come back from that tour and we've done some really good things. We had three players who joined us for the first time in November. Absolutely transformed our team. Um, and and who, we still who were they? Up. Who were they? Um, so there was a flanker via Fafida. Oh yeah, he's uh, he's good. <laughs> yeah, he plays up at uh, I think he's up at Scarlets now. Um, we've got a halfback, Augustine Pulu, who joined he's, us. He's good. Yeah, and um, and there's a um, centre, George Moala. So all, right. all three three All Blacks, mate. Yeah. Um, absolutely transformed our team both on and off the field, um, off the field especially. Um, so um, we still got another four or five players to join us next year. Um, so it's mate, it's looking exciting in terms of that rugby stuff. Is that are they joining you from the change in the eligibility rules? Yes, yeah, yeah. So um, since that change, we've had we've it's it's pretty much um, transformed three quarters of our team, um, and and not only that, it's opened up. Um, it's opened up uh, um, a, a, a pathway for a lot of other players who who have actually joined the team as well. You, you mentioned those three guys that came in, trans, transformed the team more so off-field. What, what do you mean by that? Is it in, more in terms of like work ethic, around training and preparation? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, habits, good habits, professionalism, uh, attitude. Um, they, they, they just bring a whole new attitude to the whole training environment. Um, look, we, before before this eligibility rule change, we we've had some bloody wonderful players, but just not the players of the caliber of, of these players who have come across now. Um, and, and no disrespect to the players who played for us before, um, but these guys just bring a whole new different mindset. You know, just things like um, adding to our professionalism off the field. Um, you know, just the way. Uh, the way we behave, um, just uh, um, um, uh, things around leadership off the field and, 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 and changing behaviours and, and, and absolute professionalism in terms of, you know, the way they recover, the way they sleep, the way they eat, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's, it's been a breath of fresh air. What a, I, I want to dive into to coaching Tonga and, and working with the Tongan team. Obviously, we've got to talk a bit about your playing career as well. But but from someone on the outside looking in, I, I've played with a bunch of Tongan guys, like both the Tamani brothers, you know, some of the most talented players 
you you could possibly imagine physically gifted but for some reason and i'm not quite sure why tonga never seemed to translate that into international success what what are some of the challenges from your perspective in obviously this this was a good year i think you went undefeated this year didn't you Mm. Yeah, but what are there are there what are some of the challenges that people might not understand in bringing a group of guys together from all over the world to play a few test matches a year and hopefully compete on the world stage? Oh, look, there was a great example in our first window, uh, which was around July. Um, there was a great example. We, we we got together at the start of July and finished at the end of July, so we were together for about five weeks. Um, if you and and. It was around the same time the Wallabies got together. I actually thought I actually think the Wallabies got together a couple of weeks before us. Um, and not only did they, they they played they played the they played the touring. I think they played the touring teams that came over at that time. Um, I'm not I'm not too sure who it was, but they actually they were together. We finished at the end of the July. The Wallabies stayed together for another six weeks. Yeah. So. Um, out of the whole year, the whole calendar year, we're together for two windows, which is about four weeks each. So it's about eight weeks, um, and I've got players coming from all across the all across the country, all across the world, mate. Probably there'd probably be twenty plus more programs, um, you know, 20, 20 different teams in in different continents um, that come across now. Just. The, the biggest challenge for me is getting them on the same page. Yeah. Um, getting and um, whereas the the Wallabies, when they get together, not only do they get together for a lot longer period, so they, they, they I think they were together for about maybe um, for the first half of the season, probably three months. Um, they had a short break, and I think they had their November tour um, after that. So that's nearly half a year, really. Exactly. So six months. We're together for two months. We play. Um, we play probably six to eight games at the most. Um, the Wallabies play fifteen plus test matches. So and they and they're together for six. You know, six plus months. So comparing the times, the, the comparing the time we we camp together, totally we're different different teams, chalk and cheese. Um, and you compare the teams that we play. We play eight test matches, they play 15 plus. So it's 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 unfair. It's yeah. not the the whole the whole system's not made for tier two teams to win. It's just it's just not fair. You know, we that's that's the challenge for us. So when we get together, we try and keep things as, as simple as possible. Um, we've got players, like I said, we've got players coming from 20 different programs. We keep things simple. Um, in in a four week in a four week campaign, you do very little coaching. It's more about organisation and hey guys, you stand here. This is what we're going to do when this happens. This is what we're going to. We very little do. We we coach very little. It's more about just organisation and planning um, and that kind of and motivating players to to play. You know. Um, I think I, I read in some of your notes yesterday, one of the biggest things we try and do as a team is motivate players to play and why they got the red jersey on and all that kind of stuff. I, I know some guys that have played for Tonga 
uh, and they all say that it's a very special experience. They're representing their homeland and their families. Is there is there anything that that you do as a coach and the coaching staff do or the senior players that that gives guys a sense of ownership that we are playing for Tonga, we're representing Tonga? Like, is there anything specific that you guys do that might be different from other teams? We 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 um we do a lot of things around that. So we try and drive. Um, the whole cultural um, thing around um, around uh, being a Tongan and, and representing your country. You know, if, if players are playing for their country for the first time, we'll always get parents involved or family involved in the jersey presentation. Um, if not, we'll always have video messages from, from parents, uh, from family, and, and we do that on a Friday night, and that's probably the, that's one of the most emotional days of the whole week. Uh, you get guys getting up there and saying, um, you know, I'm doing this and, and, and thanking everyone. And when they start crying, it's, it's, really, it's, a, it's a really special thing to be a part of. Um, yep. What, I was just going to say, what about the guys coming in who have represented other countries first? And then gone on to represent Tonga after the change in eligibility rules. Um, certainly, I follow a few of the guys on social media, and it looks very special. Have, have they have they found that as well? Like it's it's quite meaningful for them. Totally, totally. Um, we we try and connect. We, we we drive. I try and drive the reason that um, um, they're putting on the red jersey. The red jersey just doesn't represent. Um, um, your country, um, you know, the, the jersey's made up of a whole lot of things other than um, where you're born and where you come from. It's, it's you know, part of it's your village, part of it's your family, part of it's your, your parents or the people who, who gave you the opportunity to, to move overseas um, to get started in rugby or, or simply just people who, who helped you along your journey. Yeah, so you, so you, we all drive that within the group, so that it, they have a real sense of it's not just I'm playing for these guys. I'm playing for a hell of a lot back home and people who've who've done a lot for me to be here today. Exactly, exactly, and and we really, really drive that. And 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 you know, I stress that it, it's a burden that all players love to carry and love to represent. Um, you're not playing for yourself. You've got all these people who are on your shoulders with you. How do you? I've always wondered this. How do you keep track of all the guys playing all over the world? As you said, that there's guys playing in pretty much every professional competition yeah. in the world. How do you? That'd be a full time job in itself, I'd imagine. It, it is. Look, it, it's it's not as hard as what people think. You go to look. I, I go to the best competitions in the world. Um, yeah, so I, I, I reckon Super Rugby is the best competition in the world. Okay, now there are challenges there. If there's Tongans playing Super Rugby, there's challenges getting them out of their program and representing us. All players playing in that competition, obviously, they are available for the Wallabies. And, and, and we, don't get in, we don't get in their way because we, we actually encourage a lot of Tongans to play for the All Blacks, to play for Wallabies because simply they earn more money. Um, and 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 that's what it's that's what it's all about um, for these guys is is um, making money for their families, making money 
um, 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 to, to, to give them the right start in life. You know, um, a lot of players send money home to their parents uh, to send money back to New Zealand where their families are from. So we, we've always let players um, choose who they want to play for. Um, if they want to play for us, fantastic, awesome. The players that don't make the Wallabies or the, or the All Blacks or, or, or any other team, we will try and capture them as much as possible. And that's, that's where the real challenge has been for us, um, getting them um, available for, for us, even though they've got contracts stating that um, they have to be available for the All Blacks and for the Wallabies. And that's been a massive challenge. Uh, so the Super Rugby is one competition. We look at that. Uh, premierships, the next competition. Um, then you've got the top 14 in France. France has got two two really competitive layers of competition there. They got the top 14 in the Proto the Proto two. Yeah. Um, so and we've had a lot of players uh, running around in that. Um, and, and 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 simply you just um, you you either make contacts with people in those countries, or you can simply just go through the website and go through their squad lists. Um, and, and Tongan names are pretty easy to, to pick out. Um, but you, you, you know most of them anyway. Um, the only guys that you probably wouldn't identify are the ones that come up through their academy system um, who, who, who have grown up in, say, um, France or, or the UK. Um, so they're, they're the difficult ones. Um, so you've got the top league in Japan, uh, and you've got a really good organised uh, second div there. Um, you've also got the Celtic League or the United competition. So they're, they're the main competitions that I, that I focus on. Um, the, teams, the teams that um, – the players that make the top teams, um, you know, those, they, 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 they kind of pick the players for you. You know, the players who are in the top teams and play every week, um, they're the players that you want. So, Do the players' clubs ever make it difficult? Like, is there any negotiating with them around the fringes? Yeah, there's heaps of that. So during our November period or even during World Cup year, um, we'll, 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 we'll try and get players to come in. And we know that uh, clubs have offered these players uh, a financial incentive or even an extra couple of years on their contract to stay behind and play for the club, um, which, 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 is, which is hard to prove. Um, but we, we, we certainly know that that happens. And, look, my advice to those players is, man, like if, if a player's got offered 20,000 euros to stay behind and, and play at club, I, I, I instruct them, mate, go for it. Like 20, we don't pay our players much. We play our players... Around about a thousand, just over a thousand New Zealand a week. It's not much. It's it's you know a lot of players actually that come and play for us lose money. So if they get huge financial incentives like that, or even get extra years on their contract, mate, take it, take it. Yeah, yeah. So it's just another challenge for for you to overcome, really. It is. It is. Look, the whole system is. Like I said, the whole system is not geared for us to, to win consistently. So we'll have an odd win here and there against the Tier 1 team. 
But for us to, like when we go into the World Cup, for us to win, for us to make finals, you need to win like six, seven good games in a row. It's yeah. just, we're just, we not, it's the whole system's not built for that. Um, so that's tough. And, and so as a coach coming into that kind of system, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to build um, what, what does winning look like when you're not winning? So you still got to motivate players. Um, and, and that's, that's always been a challenge for us. And I think, I think that culture piece where you're connecting players back to their family, back to their culture. I think that's been a really important piece during my tenure because if, if you're reconnecting back to family and to our culture, well, it, that, that's, that's the piece where you're winning without winning on the field, you know, yeah. if you know what I mean. I do, yeah. And I, I reckon that would also filter back to some of the guys who might be going, oh, should I take the extra money to stay at home? Oh, wait, all these guys are having the best experience playing for Tonga. And then maybe it'd be more inclined to to drag more guys into that. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally agree. But we, we we've always that's that that cultural piece connection piece has been uh, a a really a priority for us. Having a good time during tour has been a real priority because, um, like I said, it's not we don't we, we win fifty percent of our games. You know, so the, so half the time we're losing. What 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 does winning look like when you're not winning and and having a good time with you with with some um, some great mates, um, you know, enjoying a tour, um, uh, connecting back to um, your culture and representing family are really big factors in our in, in the way that we want to run the tours. Did you struggle coming into that? Did you struggle to adjust to that? This is the way it is. The system's not really built to support us. And you just worked around that, or, or was there an adjustment period for you? Because obviously you, you had a lot of success as a player, and and obviously uh, being in Australia, it's all kind of geared towards the Wallabies. What was your attitude originally walking in? Yeah, no, it took it good, good, really good question. It took me a while to get used to that because you know we're tier two, we don't have the same resources. You know, I, I struggled with stuff like. Um, um, well, first, first and foremost, just dealing with players that that weren't weren't really international players, but great guys that bloody gave their all, um, and 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 most of the players that played for us were bloody good blokes. But um, at the end of the day, they just weren't Test match players, and and struggled to really compete against tier one um, tier one teams. Like it, it, it when we played. So we played some tier one games. We played All Blacks a couple of times, and What's that game? we didn't. Yeah. yeah, we didn't have a we didn't have a we didn't have a good team at all. And mate, we half the team were club players, and we were going to really struggle. So it was really hard for me to 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 drive a real clear message around uh, you know being successful and and good habits and that and. Look, what the, the main message we drove, I think, that week was bloody, when do you get to play the All Blacks? You, know, you, you, you can, 10, 20 years from now, you can say to your grandkids, you play against the bloody All Blacks. You know, and, and I'm never going to tell any team I coach that you're going to lose. You know, I do, that's, just not, that's just not in my vocabulary. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell my players, you fucking go out there, you've got a great opportunity. 
go out there, fucking do your best. This is a game plan. Um, things won't go our way, but fucking don't give up. You know. Did you find? Did you find with that those kind of teams? Obviously, when the All Black guys come in, um, who've been you know serious professionals in Europe and in New Zealand, all over the world. Is there some kind of education that you have to do for some of the players? This is what it takes to be a test match footballer. Even if you want to be a full-time professional footballer and make the jump up, this is what it takes. Is there like a bit of an education process as well? Oh, look, I think there is, but you kind of, when, when players come, when you're playing international rugby and all players know, all players have a fair idea what, what it takes, you know, and, and and a lot of our players just didn't have the mindset to do it, to do that. Like they just didn't have a, a killer instinct, killer attitude to bloody, you know, to get up, to eat well, to bloody get up every day hard, uh, early, work hard. We just didn't have those type of players early on. Yeah. Um, um, we, we had some of them, um, um, but... Like I said, we had a lot of we we had a lot of players that were on the fringe of um, um, the MPC, uh, a lot of club players. So they weren't they look great guys and, and love them to death, but they just weren't the top quality players. And and they knew what it took. Um, they just didn't have that killer mindset, which I, I guess is probably hard to to teach someone how to have that if you don't have it. Exactly, and 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 like I said, I think they all know what it, they just didn't want to. They just didn't want to take themselves that extra mile, you know, to 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 do that. Well, uh, what about what about obviously you get the team for two windows? Is there anything you'll do throughout the year to keep connection with the group? There's all this stuff made about cohesion, and I've had the guys on the podcast to explain it. It's obviously a consideration trying to get people connected. Obviously, doing what you do with the limited time you have with the guys, do you have any tricks or, or I, things that you do to keep them connected? Yeah, good question. I, I talk to my players pretty much every week. Like, I'll have a core group of of um, probably 15 to 20 players who I'll talk I'll talk to them every week, either through a phone, uh, on the phone, uh, Zoom, um, just, even just messaging. Um, so most of the... 80% of my players play up north in Europe. They're, they're up there at the moment. So I'll watch. I'll, I'll, they'll all play over the weekend. Um, I'll, I won't watch all their games, but I'll watch most of it. So Sundays, Mondays, Tuesdays, I'll, I'll try and watch most of their games and, and I'll, um, I'll just shoot them a message or I'll, I'll give them a ring and just have a chat, organise a Zoom with some of the leadership group. That's about it. Um, yeah. Um, and and that's that's the amount of connection that we do. We do. Yeah. We 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 do some tracking stuff in terms of training loads and uh, injury stuff. If if what they've got injuries and, and how much they train, how much they play, that's that's about it. But we try not to interfere too much with um, what they're doing at their clubs. So um, yeah, that's 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 about it. It's quite informal, uh, quite yeah. um, relaxed as well. Just keeping the relationship going. Basically, basically, yeah. yeah. So if someone has a cracker of a game, I'll, I'll ring him up saying, mate, great game, great try that that was. Um, and, and and we'll just we'll just we'll just chat on for about five minutes and say, mate, um, you know, good luck next week, and that's about it, you know. And I'll, I'll do that with my, with probably fifteen to twenty players 
every weekend. I reckon the players would still appreciate that. I oh, know I would. How's how's the planning for 2023 looking? So what's what's the process now? Are you going to get any any kind of camp or anything in before the World Cup? Have you got a few no. games, warm-up games or anything like that organised? Yeah, so we're just going through that now. Look, the, the scheduling has been um, – we started doing that at the start of this year. So we've kind of got nearly everything in place. Um, so the first thing we'll do in the year is – um, I'll we'll, we'll we'll start we'll we'll continue that tracking kind of that soft tracking where so players will send in a report to me every week after they play yeah. um, and, and it's just simply um, uh, how much they played um, if they've got any injuries um, 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 how, how, um, how much training they've done how many minutes they played um, if they've got injury what it is and and, and so on so. There's a little bit of a um, tracking sheet that they fill out for me. Um, I'll shoot up to uh, France in February um, and we'll, I'll, I'll just get the Northern Hemisphere players together for about two or three days. So yep. we'll have a camp and we'll just deliver some stuff. So we won't train or, or anything. It'll be during the Six Nations period. So we'll have a little camp where we'll just talk about the scheduling for the year. Um, we'll talk about a lot of rugby stuff in terms of the way we're going to play the game. And, um, um, so we'll do that for about two or three days. I'll stay up there for about six weeks then and just and just go from club to club um, and just keep that connection piece going and, and, and also try and build relationships with their clubs. Um, so that's, that's pretty important. I'll then come back. I'll then come back here and um, we'll, we'll – it looks like most of the, the seasons will finish end of June. So um, the tracking will stop as soon as their season finishes. They'll have a short break as soon as their finishes and, and they'll there's, – there's a certain period – it looks like it's about three to four weeks where um, when they finish till uh, when we assemble. And we'll assemble at the end of June. So – um, we'll, we'll all come into camp at the end of June um, and then we'll, we've got pretty much 10 weeks together before we go to the World Cup. Um, what will that look like? Is Will that be pretty full on uh, if guys need to get fitter or faster yeah. or stronger? Like what, what's that going to look like from your point of view? So before, before we assemble, we'll, we'll have a look at that data that we've collected um, and 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 they'll they'll be doing something before they finish the end of the season for us. As soon as they finish, depending on what shape they're in, there's a there's a there's a month or six weeks gap there where they'll they'll start to prepare themselves physically before they come into camp. Yeah. Um, so um, they'll 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 have a lot of training before they come into camp, and then that ten weeks um, we'll have. We're in that PNC competition again. Yep. So that takes that takes about four weeks, and then the other we've got some other games outside of that that competition. But what we'll use, even though we've got games, we'll we'll train hard all through that ten weeks. It's yes. it's the only time. It's not ideal, but it's the only time we've got um, um, a chunk of time together. Yeah. So we'll 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 train hard through that. We won't care about the results um, because. Our, our main goal is a World Cup. 
What do you think it takes? What do you think it's going to take to win the next World Cup? Looking around world rugby, I'm not just speaking for Tonga specifically, but just in general, what style of game, what, like what what trends are you seeing? What what's going to feature heavily at the next year's World Cup? Oh, look, I think I think I think kicking still going to have a big part to play. Um, I think if you look at the way France are playing. Uh, really got big backs, um, and 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 you're really using them as a um, as a um, as a battering ram just off that uh, just off that set piece, off those, off that, or off or using them off set piece, or during that unstructured play. Just to, I, I think the way France are playing, it's really um, unstructured, a lot of offloads. Um, yeah. um, I. Um, I think that's where the game's kind of heading. Um, but obviously you've got that no risk uh, game plan where there's a lot of that box kicking. Like Springbok style. Springbok style, even England style, um, where you're trying to just pin your, pin your opposition down the opposition half and then just hope they make mistakes, put pressure on them. Um um, and then hopefully just keep them away from your 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 red zone, really. How, how do you – so for the Tongan team, obviously you're going to have an idea of how you want to play, what's working in world rugby at the moment, but then you've got to take into account the, the talents of your players as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, like, without knowing all the team, I'm sure that they, there's – you know, some guys that like to throw the ball around. There's some big ball carriers there, some fast outside backs. How do you get that balance right between this is what's working in world rugby at the moment, and this is this is us, this is our talent, this is what we're good at? Yeah, look, I think um, yeah, really good question. I think yeah, the numbers, the metrics don't lie, um, and and I think teams that um, can can win the kicking game and can win territory consistently. Um, um, their team gets put on the front foot all the time. So we're, we're wary of that, even though we've got, you know, the likes of Izzy Falau and Charles Puitau, you know, maybe a Tevita Lee on the wing. Some outstanding, outstanding um, um, broken field runners. I think, I, I, I think that, that balance is, is going to be, we're going we're gonna to have to make really good decisions where that line is to attack or when not to attack. Yeah. So, and I think that line will change all the time depending on how the game's being played out. Yeah. Um, so, look, for us initially, I, I, we need to, I think, for us to, to be safe and to play the no risk, we're going to have to try and win field position initially. Yeah. Um, um, and it just, just because, um, you know, puts us in puts us into if we once we get to about the three quarter mark, halfway through second half, if we're still in the game, then we're, we're still a chance, and 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 then we can take a lot more risks. Then, what we don't want to see is for us, especially, we're not we're not good chasers of the game. So, if we're down by 20, 30 points, you know, we're not we, when we don't have a really good mindset to to chip away at a lead like that. So, for us, if we can. If we can get to halfway through second half and and it's quite even or there's only five points in the game either way, 
where where you know where that that mindset suits us. You know, we can see the 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 the, um, the lure only a couple of meters in front of us. We're really good in that mind that mindset. We're really good at. We can chase the game down that way really well. What needs to happen for Tonga to win the World Cup? Oh, mate, a lot of good luck. Um, keep our best players. Look, we, we've got – so we've got Ireland first, Scotland second, and South Africa third. Like tough, we, That's a tough pull. Exactly. We need to win two of those games. So um, we need to win two of those games. We haven't, we haven't identified which games we're going to um, – we're going to target. We might target all of them. I mean, you know. So, um, but we certainly, if if we can get those, if we can get through, if we can get two wins out of those three games, um, and then for, play our best players in those three games, that last game against Romania, we would have to trust our 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 impact players or our second team. To probably play that game and win it for us, yeah. Because I, I, I don't think we can play heading into heading into the quarterfinals. I don't think we can play our best players five games in a row. It's just I think it's it might be a bridge too far for us. But if we can rest, if we can win, if we can win two games and then and then play our second team against that Romanian team and then have a fresh team for the quarters, I think we're I think I think we're a good chance. How good would that be? Just quiet. Oh, mate, that that'll <laughs> that'll be awesome. And and you need to you need to use the whole the whole squad. You just can't keep playing your best squad and win and still be there um, in grand final time. You know, it's um it's a whole it's a whole squad mentality. I think these days. Um, this is probably a long winded question, and I'm sure we've answered a lot of it already. But ideal world, what do we need to do for Tonga to become perennial world? World Cup winners, or or in the mix, yeah. Oh, look! If you look at what the Tier One teams are doing, um, all their players in a in a local top competition like Super Rugby or Premiership. Do you do you uh, think a Tongan Super Rugby team would be helpful? Bloody oath! I think bloody oath. I like Moana. The Moana team now is a step in the right direction. I've got up to 12, 15 players in that program at the moment yeah um and and some of those players will be involved with the world cup squad next year there's no doubt um but those players i had uh over 18 months ago are totally different players now just by being in that program um 18 months so um if we went back to that all black game that we lost by about 100 points we had a lot of those Moana players in that in that game, um, that that that, and that was before Moana. So a lot of those players now have had um, a year in Moana, and they've actually the development I've seen in those players over the last four months, unbelievable. Um, and, and and a lot of those players will come to the World Cup, I would say. So yeah, it would, it would, it, it would keep all my players. If I could get all my players playing in Super Rugby. And maybe say most of them playing for a team like Moana, um, fantastic. That's that's the one, that's the first piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Um, and then if we can if we can keep my team together for six months throughout a, a calendar year, 
and play 15 to 20 top-tier test matches, like, like the Argentinians, like the, like the Japanese, we would, we, would certainly, we would certainly challenge for a, a semi-final or a final berth at the World Cup. Even with just some of the names you've thrown out, like your Israel Folau's, your Charles Piatau's, there's some talent there, man. There's some absolute talent there. Unbelievable talent. So we've still got players to come in um, for for next year. Um, you know, Adam Coleman's on the brink of joining us. Oh, that's good. Um, there's a good little flanker who 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 played super Colby Foinger. I know Colby. Um, yes. Great, great. He's player. awesome. Yeah, um, Devita Lee, who's who's um, who he's awesome a, as well. Yeah, yeah. So there's 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 three there already. Um, there's a, there's a centre playing at uh, Toulouse who's won who's been with Toulouse the last couple of years, um, and they've won um, championships the last couple of years. So he he's keen to join us as well. Peter Arkey, he's in the Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so obviously the eligibility change has been a positive thing, but getting more, more time for the team to actually play games against quality opposition, build those connections, and then give you an opportunity to actually work on your game model change your tactics and actually get to coach rather than just get them on the same page would be really beneficial to the Tongan team. It would change. It would, it would change our team entirely. Uh, we, we would be, we would be, we would be competitive consistently with the tier one nations. I hope it happens. I hope it happens one day. That'd be fingers, unreal. Fingers crossed. <laughs> hey, I, I want to ask you a little bit about your playing career, but from, from some of the coaches that you had. So you played under some some outstanding coaches. Can you talk briefly about what you've learned from some of those guys that you've trans you've that's helped you transition into your own coaching career? Yeah, look, one of my first professional coaches was um, John Connolly, um, a great guy, uh, a great mentor. Um, and we we've had we still talk. Um, unfortunately, John Connolly's just had a bit of an accident in the last couple of years. Um, but um, we still talk. He's been he's been a great mentor. He he was a coach that um, he wasn't a, a great uh, technical tactical coach, but he, he he would be like I'd say like a Wayne Bennett where he would get the best out of players. He was really good man manager, um, build really good connections with players, and and got the best out of players. Players would play for um, for John Connolly. And, 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 and Knuckles had coaches underneath him that would do all that technical, tactical stuff. So he's, he's always been a coach um, that I've always um, uh, been proud of our, our relationship. Um, Eddie Jones, mate, was a, was a different, was a real different coach that, um, that we, we got along really well. And, and fortunately for me, Knuckles, um, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie liked me. Um, <laughs> so because if Eddie didn't like you, um, I think initially Eddie could be a bit of a bully. Um, so uh, and that's the way Eddie was. Uh, he's toned he's toned that approach down. I've, I've heard a fair bit, but um, he puts a lot of pressure on his staff to work hard. Um, he puts a lot of pressure on his staff to to make sure that they get the right results. Um, and I, I continually talk to, to Beaver um, regularly, you know, a um, couple of times every month. Is he, is he going all right after what's happened um, the last week? 
Yeah, look, mate, he he's a he's a he's a warrior, mate. He, he'll 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 get himself up and dust the dust the dust off and uh, onto the next role. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure he won't be lacking for places to go and teams that will want him. Can, can we? Can I talk about Rod McQueen a little bit? Obviously, the '99 World Cup would have been a big time in your life. What was it like working for Rod? So I, I read his book not that long ago. He was a, a businessman that transitioned into a rugby coach and used a lot of the principles that he learned from business into managing a professional team. One, what was that experience like in your life? Is there anything that's that kind of stands out uh, that maybe people wouldn't know about? And, and can you just touch on Rod a little bit? Mate, he was like I look back now at the time when I was a player. You know, Rod brought all these things in and really got us well organised. He took over from a guy called uh, Greg Smith. Um, totally two different coaches. So what Rod did, you, you're absolutely right. He he. He, he approached coaching a team like he did um, leading a, 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 a business company or a firm, um, really got us organised. He, he gave us diaries. Um, we, he, he, he put us all together in Wallaby Camp up in Caloundra. Yeah. Um, he, he, forced, he forced players to start um, um, uh, being responsible for, for the things that they did. So... We, we, we went into camp up in Caloundra. We had to cook for ourselves. We had to clean our own, our own do our own washing. And all that. Half the boys didn't know how to, how to use a washing machine. I was, I was one of them. Um, I, none of us knew how to cook. So the first thing he taught us was to be, um, to be disciplined and to be responsible for, our, for, for ourselves. Um, he, got us, he got us organised with diaries. We had to write down a plan for the day and a plan for the week. He was, at that time, I didn't think much of it, but I look back now, um, he, he, tr- he transformed the game for us and, and really took a group of, we, 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 had some, we had some unbelievable talent at that time that we just didn't know about. And, and I look back now, I was at the Rupa lunch a couple of weeks ago and, and I was talking with some players there and we look back, we, we mentioned that we look back at that time and um, you didn't know how good the players were then. We look back now, unbelievable. Best players could have ever played the game. Some of the greats, mate. Oh, mate, unbelievable. So, um, so yeah, Eddie, um, look, Rod McQueen, as a coach now, looking back at what Rod McQueen did, he was, he was ahead of his time. Unbelievably ahead of his time. Great guy. Built some really good connections with players. Like he was, he was fantastic with me. Like he started, me and Willie O played together. I would start, and then Willie O would finish the game for me, um, because we we weren't at that time we weren't fit to play eighty minutes. And he was he was bloody right. Um, he brought in Steve Nance, uh, ex Broncos uh, fitness trainer, to 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 absolutely drill all of us. Like we were doing things that we've never done before. During that time, that was the first time, first and only time I had a six pack. And when I remember <laughs> speaking to Dick, I spoke to Dick about it. Like, how did the boys react to it? And he's like, "Everyone fucking hated it." It was like, "Who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> how, how did you? How did you find that?" Mate, it was tough because me, we were in the fat club, uh, myself and Willie. So we did extras. We had to do extras every day, um, and we were doing stuff like we would do gym. 
we would do a set of weights and then we'd run outside and then do with a sled, we'd have to do two two by 30 meter sprints, but we've never done that type of training before. Oh mate, it's unbelievable. But three years, fast forward three years down the track to the 99 World Cup, we were absolutely all in the best shape of our lives. Unbelievable. Um, so he, he just made us a lot more professional, a lot more um, responsible for, for, for what we did um, and accountable, I suppose. How, how do you look back on that period with the Australian team? Like, hell of a lot of success. And I, I, I feel like the Australian public now is kind of living back then and then and going, well, we used to win all the time. Why are we not winning? You know, yeah. why are we not winning now? But I mean, it must have been. Like, did you realise at the time how good it was? And, and no. Or is it something that you look back on and go, fuck, I was, I was part of that? Yeah, no, no. At the time, we just thought, you know, we're just having a – we trained hard, we we partied hard, um, and, and mate, we, we won games. We just – we were great mates on and off the field. We didn't realise at the time that, that, you know, that was a golden era of Australian rugby. I look back now with bloody fond memories and like I said a couple last week I, I had a caught up with a few um, mates from that same same era and we'll just talk about the old days and it was bloody some great memories uh, and, and 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 it was just good to reminisce with those blokes um, but you could see you're right everyone looks back at that period as a as a bit of a golden period and to tell you the truth, I don't know if we can get back to that um, moving forward. Uh, well, fingers crossed we can, but, yeah, I, I look back with bloody some fond memories with, with a special group of mates. What's it, like winning the, what's it like when the whistle goes in the 99 World Cup final? Can you just talk, talk us through that? Someone who's never going to win a World Cup, what's, <laughs> what are your memories from that moment, that day, that night? Oh mate, it was it was a it was I it was a huge night, unbelievable. Like we we planned that World Cup two years out, and and I remember um, in our off season we were doing stuff in Cloundra, the Wallabies had never done before over Christmas. We were training over Christmas time. Anyway, it was all we were all planned to to um, deliver ourselves at the World Cup in tip top position in shape in condition. Um, mate, when that final whistle went, um, the, the feeling's hard to describe. It, it's like it's 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 ten times winning a Bledisloe, you know, because yeah. it was two years in the making, um, and and a lot of work had gone into gone into that, and and it was probably a little bit of relief, you know, really excited. But the, the night, the night it, we celebrated for the next couple of months. Like it was, it was, it just went on and on and on. And uh, yeah, great times. Um, yeah, yeah. Mate, I, I, look, I, I can imagine that winning a Rugby World Cup before the social media era and then celebrating yeah. winning a Rugby World Cup before the social media era would be so good. I could only imagine. Yeah. Is, is there any stock? Are there any stories you can tell from the celebrations? Well, there's not much I can remember. Uh, <laughs> look, I, I, my, my wife, my fiance was over there at the time, and she was pregnant. I nearly got divorced before I got married. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got married the next year, 
and just the the carry on and oh, the hoopla. It was it was fantastic. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of stories, but uh, that whole the whole period, like we we won Bledisloe's. Uh, the, the the British Irish Lions series was unbelievable. The Tri Nations, the win, the wins in the wins in New Zealand were especially sweet because we we were never supposed to win those games, you know. And 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 I remember leading up to most of the most of those games, the the press, the media were just absolutely into us, and then we would win, and they were absolutely gobsmacked and, and dumbfounded, and and and. Oh mate, we we would we would we would win and then just move on to the next week. You know, it was just it was nothing to us back in those times. I reckon the media, being a coach now, uh, and the media would just be if you were losing, would just be unbearable. I reckon, <laughs> particularly oh, yeah. like Australia, England, New Zealand, South Africa. You know those those sort of bigger media. Yeah. Anyway. Thank, mate, some rapid fire questions, and I'll leave you alone. Thank you so much for your time. I've really really enjoyed this. Do you think it's important for young coaches to have mentors? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, you know, guys who've got a lot of experience um, and and have been in a position where they've been there, done that, um, have got some, you know, would have some great, great words of wisdom or knowledge that they could pass down. Um, and, and you don't have to listen, but you take it on board because, you know, there's there's a one roads we've all been down that same road before you know yeah yeah and i guess it's helpful to to also realize that when you're in the fire someone else has been in the fire before you exactly did do, do you read much do you have any books you recommend or podcasts or anything no, like that I, I actually don't i don't read enough um i um i i get on mate honestly I get, before i when i go i go to bed quite early i get on youtube and watch I watch the uh, replays from the NBA uh, <laughs> during the day, and I yeah. fall asleep. But that's about it, uh, mate. That, that that's um, I'm going to have <laughs> to try putting basketball on to get to sleep. I've been trying all sorts of things lately. What makes a good coach, Kev, in your experience? Oh, look, I think a coach. I mean, you, you need to earn respect, and I think building really good connections and relationships with your Players and staffs really important. Um, they don't they don't have to like you, but you know they they need to respect you. Um, so building really good clear lines of communication is really important, just so you get that connection piece right. Do you something? I I think I'm in my third year, just coming up to my third year of coaching, and something that I've learned is that making mistakes and and failing, for a lack of a better way of describing yeah. it is actually very beneficial because it helps you to learn. Yeah. What's your what's your relationship like with failure? I I I so I, I hate failure and I try not to fail, but I fail a lot. And and but I just hate that feeling of I need sometimes I need to keep pushing myself, mate, pick yourself up. You know, I keep gonna keep telling myself, pick yourself up, mate, on to the next role, next job. Um, because I, I, I've always used to look at failure not so much from my point of view, but other people's point of view where... Like, what are they thinking of me? What are they think? thinking? Oh, you got yeah. that wrong. So I hate that. And and for me, I've always been a guy where I needed people to, 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 to have approval of me and to like me. Yeah. So that's always been a challenge 
for have you overcome have you overcome that or have you overcome that because i have the same problem yeah so um no i haven't entirely um so i reckon i'm on my way um I'm, i'm a lot more chilled about that so if i make a mistake and people look the people looking and judging me i'll 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 be myself and just keep. I, I need to. I need to take some of my own advice and, and and say, look, mate, flush it, move on, next next job. Yeah. And and that's that was a real stumbling block for me because I needed to get everything right and I needed everyone to like me. Yeah. Um. And and that was hard for me to to get over. Still yeah. is sometimes. You know. Well, I think most people don't think about as much about you as you think about you as well. Yes. Something yeah. that I've something I've said, but I'm the same. I hate I hate yeah. making mistakes, but I've yeah. I've come to learn that if you do it in a good way, it can act, if if you look at it in a good way, it can actually be very beneficial. Yeah, I meant to ask you this at the at the start, Kev. Do you do you have a coaching philosophy, and do you think coaching philosophy is important for young coaches to work out? Yeah, look, I think I think I think there's there's a few guidelines and there's a few um, pointers that you always take to every every coaching gig or, or when you're coach, I, I, one of my, I try to keep everything simple, you know? Um, um, and, and if it's not simple and I need to, if whatever I coach, I need to, I need to continually check for understanding. And, uh, cause I know, especially dealing with a lot of Polynesian boys, they will always say they understand, but they don't really. And, and so me, I, I, I throw that, I, continually use check for understanding and I continually ask questions but um, I, I need to I because of the because of of what I'm coaching with Tonga I, I have to keep everything simple try and keep you know um, no complication everything clear and transparent how do you, how do you check for understanding is it a matter of um, when you're reviewing a lineout session or whatever, you ask the boys, "Oh, what did we talk about on field?" Or like, yeah. "What are we?" Is it something like that? Or yeah, oh, yeah. So um, re- re- ask real specific questions at the at the end, um, and try not to always get uh, um, look for easy answers, and and don't be afraid of silence. Um, and and not one. only that. Not only that, um, when you're finished on the grass, your check your check for understanding doesn't stop. Like I'll, I'll, I love using WhatsApp and sending stuff out and trying to get players engaged. I think getting engagement is always really important for um, clarity and and and, and um, um, making sure that they. They understand what is that happening. when you say engagement? Is it is it uh, do, do you mean more you just telling me, uh, hey, Chubby, you did this and that drill? You go, how do you think you could have done that better? Try and get players, try and get, try and get players to maybe coach, coach it sometimes. Yeah, try and get players to coach themselves. Yeah, um, maybe get, um, and, and get players to probably, um, talk more. Um, yeah, that, that, that way, I'd suppose. Do you have any advice that you frequently give young coaches? Um, other than that, under the, other than that communication and connection piece, um, that's probably the most common, um, 
um, advice I give to make sure that you continually talk to your players and and and, and understand, and and also to be when times are tough, be understanding and empathetic. I think. Last question, mate. Thank you so much for this. What advice would you give eighteen-year-old Totai Kefu? Wow, where do I start? You can go anywhere you want with it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, look. Um, I, I probably, I, I should have, I should have, uh, I, I started a teaching degree that I didn't finish. I probably should have done that. Uh, um, again, I, I probably should read more, um, uh, you know. Um, and I think if I was going throughout my career, um, look, I love, I've got no regrets about um, my career. I, I thought I had a great career, really grateful for the opportunities I've been, I've given. But, um, you know, if I, I reckon, I reckon if I, I, I was re- pretty proud of what I did, um, but I wasn't. I wasn't the hardest trainer. <laughs> and I reckon. I reckon um, if I if I if I could have trained harder, I reckon I, I could have um, could have done a fair bit more. That's a good way to end, mate. Thanks so much for this. Uh, best of luck for the next twelve months. Are you Are you doing the Ira Camp in Sydney in January? Yeah. Yeah, I am. I put my name down for that. So yeah, yeah. I'll be I'll be there on the Saturday and the Sunday. Um, awesome. So have have a couple of beers and and um, catch up offline. Um, thanks so much, mate. I really appreciate it. No pleasure. Anytime. Um, this is this has been great. I'm looking forward to um, to having a look up back over this. Mate, thank you so much, mate. All right, that's the episode, guys. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you give us a five star review at spotify and apple i'll assume if you got to this point you did enjoy it um and that's it please follow us on social media at wandering bear sports instagram facebook tiktok at duncan chubb on linkedin and twitter and that's it guys we will be back soon please have a great week please have a great month whatever it is and um wherever you are in the universe thanks for listening and we'll be back soon bye